0: Oregon Employment First, supporting people with intellectual and developmental disabilities to work in community jobs. Learn more at iWorkWeSucceed.org. Hi, and welcome to the Oregon Employment First podcast. I'm Angela Yeager with Employment First. This week, we are talking about reasonable accommodations in the workplace. Joining me today are Gordon Magella and Matthew Denny, attorneys with Disability Rights Oregon. Welcome.
1: Hello, this is Matthew Denny. Hello, Angela. We're excited to be here.
0: So glad to have both of you here. So Matthew and Gordon, um, we're going to talk about uh, reasonable accommodations in the workplace today. So let's start off with the first question. What are the workplace protections for people with intellectual and developmental disabilities?
2: Sure, that's a great place to start. So I, I think the thing that we need to really keep in mind is that people with IDD who are supported in the workplace have the same protections as anybody else with a disability on the job. I think we sometimes get this notion that when folks are in services, you know, maybe everything is just driven by those services uh, and trying to find good fits, but really people are entitled to the exact same protections as any other worker in the workplace who has a disability. And a lot of those protections come from the Americans with Disabilities Act uh, or ADA. Uh, There are a couple of other statutes, like the Rehabilitation Act or some Oregon state laws, but we'll really focus on the ADA because a lot of the other statutes have pretty similar protections. Uh, And what those statutes really do is guarantee equal opportunity for people with disabilities in public accommodations, employment, transportation, state and local government services, telecommunications, and some other areas. Uh, The biggest focus for what we're going to talk about today is Title I of the ADA, which prohibits private employers, uh, as well as state and local governments, labor unions, uh, some other employers from discriminating against qualified individuals with disabilities in the hiring, firing, advancement, compensation, job training, or other terms and conditions of employment. Um, and What that really comes down to is that an employee, an individual who is uh, qualified, somebody who has the skill, experience, and education necessary to do the job and can perform what we call the essential functions of the job, are protected from discrimination. employers are obligated to make reasonable accommodations to allow those otherwise qualified individuals to do their jobs. Did
0: you have anything to add to that, Matthew?
1: Um, No, I think Gordon summed it up pretty well. I think the the next thing I was going to talk about is what are some of those accommodations that... Yeah,
0: that's a good question because when you say reasonable accommodation, people want to know, what does reasonable mean? And we get this question a lot from employers. You're like, how far do I have to go for it to be considered a reasonable accommodation? So can you address that?
1: Yes. So reasonable accommodation is really any modification made to either the physical work site or the way the work is performed that allows somebody with a disability to perform the essential functions of the job. And this also applies during the job application process and the interview process as well. That's um, something that a lot of people don't know about, a good example of that is when there's some kind of employment test that you have to take in order to get a job during the application process, There mm-hmm. you can ask for accommodations on that test as well. Um, but, but these, these accommodations um, are usually fairly cheap. I think the average accommodation costs about $500 and about 40% of them don't cost anything at all. And they include just things like modifying the way that training is conducted, uh, maybe modifying a typical schedule for somebody, Um, accommodations like having a chair in the workplace. It can be really quite a lot of different things. And the idea is that it's anything that allows somebody to perform um, the core or essential functions of the job. And that's a whole, (laughs) there's a whole other question about what are the essential functions of the job because that's defined in a very specific way as well.
0: Before we get to that, though, I would like to just touch on the reasonable accommodation because that's you brought up interviewing, for instance, and this is a question we see a lot with employment first. So. Um, for instance, you know, interviews can be really terrifying for any anybody, regardless of a disability. It can be a really arduous process. So, what it would be considered a reasonable accommodation for someone in an interview? I know I worked in a university at one point, and for instance, a student with a with a disability could go to Disability Access Services and get an accommodation for, oh, I need a quiet space. You know, I can't take the test with. All the other students, or, oh, I need a little bit longer because of their disability to take the test, you know. So that would be considered a reasonable accommodation. What would be, you know, an equivalent in the workplace?
2: Specifically for the interview example, uh, not specific to IDD, but somebody who is deaf and would need an American Sign Language interpreter in the interview. Uh, process. Very obvious. Um, but for somebody with IDD, it it may be something like the way the questions are structured, the, the pace of the questions, making sure that you ask simple, concrete questions to accommodate uh, that person's communication style. Uh, another common one would just be to have a supporter in that interview. I, mean, I think if you or I were in an interview, mm-hmm. typically we'd that alone. Um, but it would be very common to have uh, a relative or a job coach or some other employment professional in that interview. And that in itself is a very common reasonable accommodation.
0: That's a great example, yeah. And especially if, for instance, someone's nonverbal, maybe they have a device or maybe they don't, but they still might feel like they need a support person there, or as you mentioned, job coach, job developer, family member. So that's so that's a great example. So not to uh, cut you off, Matthew, on the uh, reasonable accommodation part. So, uh, but I think the next question was, who gets to choose the reasonable accommodation?
1: Yeah, and I can talk a little bit about that process. So. Typically, if you know, if somebody knows that they're going to need an accommodation at work, an individual can request an accommodation at any given, at any time. Whether it's when they first get hired, or even during the interview process, they could mention what accommodations they would need before hiring. Um, But it does come, in in most cases, it's going to initially come from the individual employee. And the way that that works is that um, you can request an accommodation either just verbally to a supervisor or in writing. And state the reasons why it's related to your ability to do the job and that it's for a disability related reason and then the employer can look at that and either come back and approve the accommodation or they can say they can say why the accommodation is not reasonable or they could propose a different accommodation and it could be that they have another idea for an accommodation that would be just as effective and you could discuss that idea and possibly do that instead. And this is what's called the interactive process, where you're kind of negotiating with the employer over the best accommodations.
0: Yeah, so that's a good example. The employer may want to make that accommodation for the person, uh, but maybe they have a different way of doing it that achieves the same goal. Are you a special education teacher or transition specialist in Oregon? Want to stay up on the latest news, policies, and trends impacting employment services for people with developmental disabilities? Tune in to the Oregon Employment First podcast on the first and third Tuesday of each month. Experts from the Youth Transition Program, Pre-Employment Transition Services, and the Oregon Department of Education are featured in this podcast, along with educators and students. Tune in. You know, what would be some examples of common reasonable accommodations for people with IDD?
2: Well, I think for your listeners, probably the most common one is going to be something like a job coach. Uh, a lot of folks are supported by a job coach, uh, and that's something that you know is pretty well documented in a, a lot of the guidance around accommodating folks with IDD. And it's something that I think employers really need to think about of the job coach as a legally protected reasonable accommodation for uh, most of the employees with IDD who could benefit from that support. Um, I think Matthew touched on some of the other things, like a, a modified work or shift schedule, um, reallocating some marginal tasks. Uh, you know, we talked a little bit about the essential functions of uh, of a particular job, but if there are other uh, smaller tasks that uh, you know can be done um, by that person, you know, if you if you had, for example, uh, two administrative assistants. Uh, Who did a lot of administrative copying tasks that sort of thing, Uh, but the person with IDD uh, Couldn't operate the phone as well, Uh, but that was just a very small part of the job You know, it may be that the other administrative assistant does those specific marginal tasks uh, Whereas the person with IDD would focus on uh, You know say the copying and filing and those other tasks that that person is better suited to as long as those that person can do the essential functions of that job uh, there can be some shifting around of other tasks. Um, having training materials in an alternative format um, is pretty common. I, I know there are some folks who are supported with IDD who will, uh, you know, use kind of picture instructions and things like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas other employees, uh, you know, may not need that kind of instruction at all, or may just get a written manual um, with how to do something. Um, you know, mm-hmm. things like having. A uh, clear checklist for tasks that may help uh, somebody structure that task and, and understand uh, the individual components of a task I think can really benefit some folks with IDD. Um, Matthew, are there any other things that come to mind that you think would be helpful to discuss as, as far as common reasonable accommodations?
1: Um, I think you covered a lot of the ones I was thinking of. Um, I, another good example of a marginal task that I thought of was something like replacing printer ink that maybe needs to happen once every month or two, and it's something that somebody needs to do but isn't necessarily going to be the most important part of that position, Um, is knowing how to do something like that might be something that other employees could take out pretty easily, or, you know, fixing the copier when it it messes up or things like that. I guess I'm thinking of my own workplace here, but those are some good examples of, of marginal tasks, that maybe not every employee needs to know exactly how to do it. You think
0: about things like you know, job descriptions will often be a laundry list, right, of of things, whether or not you actually need to do those uh, or not. So, for myself, as someone who has a physical disability, I noticed when I first entered the job market, I mean, years ago, that there are a lot of jobs would list things like you have to be able to lift 25 pounds or 50 pounds, and I can't do that. But there was an, there was no need for me as a communications person to actually lift 50 pounds almost ever. Uh, but that was just listed on there. And so, once I got the job, I would ask sometimes like, oh, do I actually? Oh, no, someone else can do that. If you have a head Heavy box you need to lift at someone else it's that type of thing yeah. and that's also a good thing for employers to keep in mind when you're posting things that can be intimidating to people if you really don't need that done as an essential function of the job maybe think about that especially if you want to make your workplace more inclusive so um, that's just something I think about a lot because I've noticed those things so how does a person get a reasonable accommodation
2: so uh, I, th- I think a, a big thing to keep in mind is there are no magic words for requesting a reasonable accommodation uh, it, it's something really all you have to do is articulate to the employer that you're a person with a disability and you need some kind of change or modification uh, to to your work to accommodate the disability. And it, it, it can be really simple and it, it can be, you know, to, to use a physical disability example to say, you know, I have difficulty standing for two hours at a time. Can I get a chair? And And that's really simple you know it's something you can say in 20 seconds but really legally speaking you know that that is a request for a reasonable accommodation the employer is obligated to begin that interactive process and you know probably provide that all that accommodation or come up with some other alternative that will work for you Um, so i think that that's just from a basic standpoint that's something to keep in mind Um, and it how to best approach the employer varies a bit by employer. You know, a lot of larger employers will have, uh, 88 coordinators. They will have a a fairly formal process that they'll like to walk people through. Um, it is generally helpful to try to be savvy about how to do that with your particular employer. Now the, I should say that the employer has a, a legal responsibility. If you say to your supervisor, you know, I need this because of my disability, the employer has that obligation to engage in the interactive process, um, you know, regardless of how you've made the request. And they may try to steer you into their process, um, but you know, as a practical matter, it, it's usually helpful to like, check out the employer website, see if it says something about an ADA coordinator, see if it says something about how to request an accommodation. Um, use that, that process. That it's easiest for the employer, um, if you can. Uh, you know, just as a practical matter. Um, And if not, you know, talk to your HR person, talk to your supervisor. Um, You know, I I think as a practical matter, it usually is helpful to, you know, be as clear about what you're asking for, even though the law doesn't require it. It, I think it is easy or it is helpful to say, I'm a person with a disability. I'm requesting this as a reasonable accommodation um, and to be clear and direct about uh, what you'd like.
1: Need help planning your road to work? Go to roadtowork.oregon.gov and create your customized course to a job using available services and supports.
2: That's roadtowork with the number two .oregon.gov.
0: And you don't necessarily, is this right, Gordon, that you don't necessarily need to disclose your, you know, details of your disability. You just have to say that you need an accommodation. Is that correct?
2: The employer can request some uh, disability-related information from you. Uh, Matthew, I don't know if you want to talk about that in a little more nuance. It's
1: it's, It's complicated. uh, It it can be a little complicated.
0: (laughs) Uh Uh-oh, I opened a can of worms, sorry.
1: (laughs) Um, It it does get very complicated depending on uh, the stage of employment you're in and whether or not you're requesting an accommodation. Generally when you're going through the application process, an employer can't ask for information about a disability unless you're asking for an accommodation. Um, And then if you're employed, once you're already employed, they can only ask for that information about a disability if it's related to a request for accommodation or if there's some kind of clear work-related reason for them to do so. Um, And so often, if somebody's working for an employer and they request an accommodation, it is actually fairly common for larger employers to just hand them an accommodation form and say, here, have your doctor fill this form out. And in those kinds of situations, there is gonna be some medical information disclosed, but even though, you, even though you can tell your doctor only talk about what's related to my disability as it relates to work, they don't need to know your entire medical history about or about every other thing out there, it's only what's related to the accommodation. So, okay. a good example of that would be that if you, if you do have like a lifting restriction of 25 pounds and you're not able to lift more than that, then the medical documentation would relate to the disability that impacted lifting, but not necessarily about you know, your, any mental health condition somebody might, ha- might have. So it has to be limited in scope that way.
0: Got it, that's great, that's a great example. So can you, when can you request a reasonable accommodation? Is there a specific time that you can do that at or that you're supposed to?
1: Um, Actually, people can request uh, reasonable accommodations at any point. Um, I would recommend that someone do it as soon as they're aware that there's going to be some sort of job function they would need an accommodation for. However, it's there, there is kind of always a question of whether to do it before you get hired or after you get hired. I think that if you go to an interview and explain that you can do the, you can do the job with accommodations, it's perfectly fine to ask for those accommodations after you're hired. But there may be some situations where somebody just wants to be upfront about it, wants the employer to know ahead of time, so that way they can sort of gauge how friendly the employer is going to be to those accommodations. So it really does kind of depend on on personal choice in that respect, but. Um, definitely I would say it it could be later on as well. Maybe somebody doesn't need an accommodation until something changes in the workplace, and then all of a sudden there's a need for an accommodation that wasn't there before. Um, That's something that actually can happen uh, fairly often. Maybe the employer changes the job once you're already working at it, so, you know, maybe Previously, you didn't have to clean the workplace refrigerator once a week, but then later on that becomes part of your job and cleaning the workplace refrigerator causes extra problems or there's some kind of, you know, task that's difficult with that. So that's a when the job changes that can also lead to, you know, new requests for accommodation.
0: Right. Or something you didn't anticipate that was part of the job. That can definitely happen.
1: Right. It's common as well.
0: So what about when employers make changes? uh, You you kind of address this a little bit or add supports without a specific reasonable accommodation request.
2: Yeah. So I think this is something we find uh, really frequently with employees with IDD, uh, that a lot of the employers that folks worked with are great and they want to be great employers. They want to be really accommodating. They want to be really helpful. They want to make it a great experience for their customers and the supported employee and all their other employees. And they have such great intentions. Um, But, you know, there are always some pitfalls with great intentions, you know, and we've we've seen this uh, at DRO. We've seen, uh, you know, supervisors and coworkers kind of take on certain tasks. Uh, you know, we've seen um, just little accommodations that are made in the workplace that nobody asks for. And then there's a there's a change. You know, a supervisor leaves. The business ownership changes. Something happens that natural support shifts. And nobody thought to kind of document that, you know, this thing that the manager was doing. Um, you know, and I'll give you an example. Uh, you know, I worked with uh, one gentleman who you know, had had a supervisor who was helping him clock in. Every time just the supervisor would clock him in, that was just a task that took almost no time, but it was easy for everybody to do it that way. Supervisor left and this individual just didn't think about that I need to clock in. So this this support had grown up and then all of a sudden it was a problem two weeks later when the new supervisor noticed that he hadn't clocked in or out and it was a problem. And there there was a, a disciplinary issue and And I think that's the sort of thing that we want to talk about trying to avoid, that um, anybody who is an individual with IDD, anybody who's a job coach, anybody who's another supporter um, should look at those great things that an employer is doing to accommodate a person and then think, oh, wait, this is something that other employees don't get. This isn't part of the normal practice. We should try to document this in some way. Um, So I think we would always recommend that You know, once those things are happening, once the supervisor is helping you clock in or, you know, once you have uh, a picture board with instructions for your task written and, and, you know, explained out graphically, um, you know, to put that in a memo or a letter or an email to HR or to the manager or whomever would be appropriate with that employer to really document you know, these are the things that the employer is doing that, you know, are reasonable accommodations. And and do it nicely, right? Say, hey, you're being a great employer. Thank you for doing these things for me or for this person that I'm the job coach for. Um, but creating some kind of record because things change in the workplace. You know, managers change, things change. And, you know, we, we don't want folks to have employment jeopardized and supports jeopardized just because nobody documented, because everybody was doing the nice thing and doing it naturally and doing what we want everybody to do. But then when something shifts and the job coach is faded Mm -hmm. and the manager is different, there's a problem. And, you know, just think about ways to try to avoid that.
0: Yeah, we do see quite a bit of that. And I think that's a really good point, Gordon, that we have a lot of folks that are just being super amazing employers and coworkers, and trying to to help and to be as accommodating and supportive as possible. So um, but things can change. So that's a great that's a great point. So um, is is there anything else you would both like to add before we wrap up anything? um, Maybe point folks to your website or anything, a plug for for Disability Rights Oregon? (laughs)
2: Uh, We can we can certainly do that. Uh, DrOregon.org is our website. Um, You know, we are always happy to hear from anyone who has concerns about uh, workplace accommodations or other employment related issues, uh, particularly folks with IDD who are supported in the workplace. Um, And we are, of course, you know, happy to share more information about this topic, too.
1: Great. Yeah, and I would say in particular right now, we're focusing on individuals that um, either receive or have received social security benefits that need accommodations in the workplace in order to keep employment. Um, That's something that we're focused on. Um, One other thing I just wanted to sort of plug is there's a great website that many listeners might be aware of, but it's called askjan.org. Great one. And that's the job accommodations network that has hundreds of ideas for potential accommodations for people with a whole range of disabilities. So it's really a great sort of brainstorming website if somebody doesn't know what accommodations might be out there that they could, they could request at the workplace, um, if they're thinking about what they might need to be successful.
0: That's great. Ask Jan is a great website, Um, good plug in for them as well. We also have that website linked on the Employment First website, which is iWorkWeSucceed.org. So thank you very much, Matthew and Gordon, for joining us today. Really appreciate you being here and giving so much great, helpful information to our listeners. And this has been the Employment First podcast. And thank you for listening.